Here it is. Again. One, two, three, four! I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. bring you an act who at first may shock you. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to part two of the October 1979 edition of Deep Dyes and Deep Cuts, Punk, Post-Punk, and New Wave, 1976 to 1986. I am happy to say that my prediction was correct. Oh. And we did indeed choose poorly when we were splitting up the albums <laughs> for the two October episodes. Yeah. As you know, last episode albums were, you know, a little... On the the weak tea side, mm -hmm. but the good news is that tonight's lineup is much more exciting. This is this is a pretty uh, formidable uh, group of albums that we're going to look at. I got to say that that's that's correct. You know, I I have been listening to this music for a little while now, and I've been playing it in my car as I'm as I'm cruising around town. The whole playlist is cool to me. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's got its it's got its high points and its lower points, but overall, I think it's a pretty pretty good playlist we uh get to take a look at uh, three debuts by bands that are going to each in their own way become kind of heavy hitters in the new yeah. wave uh post-punk movement so that is quite exciting uh one of those bands is madness so let's kick things off with um one of the cuts off of their debut album this is a song called razor blade alley Talk too much, in fact, not at all. Oh, but to answer the price, I was to be no fool. Money's no time to waste, or to shoot up the wall. You got the know how to place. Teacher, take me to your school. She led the way from the alley back to her house. Must not be seen going in, must not be seen coming out. Well, I can tell you one thing, I'm really excited uh, about this playlist, as I said, but one of the bands I'm excited about is that we're going to we're going to talk about Madness. So mm -hmm. um, I'm stoked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we get to that. As always, uh, we have a little business to take care of. So, Rob, what are we talking about tonight? <laughs> We're talking about music. <laughs> okay, and wh what is music? Well, it's art, Joseph. That's right. <laughs> and what's the <laughs> peculiar thing about art? <laughs> it's uh, Art is all subjective. <laughs> That's right. It is. There is nothing more subjective than art. Uh, so, as always, just want to remind everybody that this is an opinion show. But uh, even so, we do try and be mindful not to get too opinionated because we are here ultimately to celebrate this extraordinary music that was uh, released during a pretty unique period of time. Last episode, we all, we already talked about um, other things that were going on in uh, October of 1979, Rob. So that gives us mm -hmm. a, a couple of minutes to maybe catch up on some listener feedback that we yeah. got recently. 
first off, we got a um, long overdue, totally appropriate poop or get off the pot um, uh, message from Doug F. So we have been, this whole season, we have been speculating about maybe we want to open up the the list favorite uh, albums of the year list to uh, more than five so Mm -hmm. in the last two seasons we've we've asked people to just submit their top five um so we have made it we actually made a decision a while ago we just forgot to announce it so (laughs) let's let's make it official and um i want to thank doug for reminding us uh that we hadn't done that so we have figured out a system where um, our listeners, when they submit their lists, they can submit anywhere between five or ten albums uh, for 1979, and it'll still be weighted so that you're not undercutting um, your top favorite albums if you do a full top 10 list uh, so your your number one will get the same amount of value regardless of whether you do five or ten um, but what that means is that, that we're going to have to insist on two things one is it has to be at least five and no more than ten and secondly um, in the past we've gotten a couple of lists that have been in no particular order so I just averaged out the values that's not going to work for this system so if you <laughs> if you do that this year we will reach back out to you and insist that you order them properly um, so there we go it's official don't worry we will remind you of of this this system a thousand times before it comes time for you to actually submit. So. Oh, yeah. And then the other one, um, just a real quick shout out to a, one of our listeners who suggested a band. And I don't want to say the name of the band because I don't want to ruin the surprise. Um, just at the last minute, uh, a, a band I had never heard of, their debut release was um, released in... November of 1979, so it will be included in our rundown, the first episode of next month. So thank you. See, ask and you shall receive. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is to encourage other listeners, if there's a particular favorite that you suspect we are passing over, please let us know. So uh, I mentioned earlier that we were going to talk about madness tonight, and madness in October of 1979, came out with their album, One Step Beyond. Now, of course, Madness is kind of a ska band from uh, North London. They were formed in 1976. Um, I knew very little about this band at, at the time. Like, well, even in the 80s, I knew very little about them. I didn't learn about them until later in the 90s. But uh, over the years, the band Madness has, has undergone a bunch of confusing roster changes and name changes. But in 1979, they decided on the name Madness. Now, I think that really beats out their uh, their original name, which I think was like North London Invaders or something like that. Madness, I think, is, is really good when it comes down to their sound and the vibe and, and just the energy of the band. 
Their first album, One Step Beyond, on Stiff Records, was produced by Clive Longer and Alan Winstanley, who went on to produce Elvis Costello, Dexy's Midnight Runners, and David Bowie even. Uh, the album peaked at number two on the UK albums charts, and it stayed on the chart for more than a year. Singles in this album included The Prince, One Step Beyond, and My Girl, if you could believe it. Um, and as I listened to this band, I, I really got into it. Now, it's a, it's a band that I think I would have really enjoyed when I was in high school. Uh, they, like I said, they've got a bit of a ska sound. Um, the energy's really good. But I just didn't hear them. I didn't hear them until much later. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan yeah. of, of Madness, Joseph? I, I am. Um, it's, it's an interesting month for ska releases because there is another album that we are going to get to a little later in the episode. Mm-hmm. It's funny that both albums are released pretty much at the, at the same time uh, because they are two kind of like of the heavy hitters when it comes to like post-punk ska, really kind of defining mm-hmm. what this what ska sounds like moving forward. Now, like most Americans, I was not aware of Madness until Our House became a huge international hit. And at that point, it was pretty pop. I mean, it was new wave mm-hmm. pop, but it was pop. Right. So you listen to Our House and you don't get a clear sense of like, oh, this is a post-punk ska band, right? And <laughs> not at all. I, I, I think at the time, about the time that that Our House was such a big hit, I actually picked up that album and started listening to them moving forward. But it was many, many years later that I went back and and actually listened to their their first this first album. And so I think because of that, I I just I've always thought that they were a little lightweight. Um, you know, as as far as ska bands go, but not in this album. Not at all. Um, yeah, this is this is a tight album. Uh, I would love to have seen these guys live. It just it seems like it would have been the most fun. Um, you know, I was I was thinking about it, and and if we've got two really like major players in the ska, you know, ska genre. Um, it's this trend that is starting and these guys are just picking up on it. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a trend that must've been felt all over the industry. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting to see how these trends happen when they happen and, and, you know, you wonder why they happen, but, uh, on top of that, I don't really care. This is a, it's a killer album. It's a great album. Yeah, well, I, I have some more thoughts about what you just said, but I'm going to hold off on those until we get to the second Ska album um, okay. of the night, and then I'll I'll circle back on that. Yeah. So we, of course, kicked things off with your pick, Razorblade Alley, which I thought was um, an odd choice. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. surprised me with that mm-hmm. one. Um because it, it that that is a very um, for the rest of the album is a very laid back song. Yeah. It so is. so walk walk me through the the reasoning for that. I, I think well, I think it's a fine song, but yeah, I, yeah. I was surprised. 
Well, it's so it's probably it's the least ska song on the album for one thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I felt like it just had a lot of atmosphere. You know, it's mm -hmm. okay. So it's not ska, but it's jazzy as hell. Mm -hmm. And um, it it just gave me the feel of like this sleazy dive club at night with the smoke going through the, you know, through the building. And, and uh, I don't know, I, I could hear sounds of ice clinking and glasses. To me, it was just like a really cool tune. Yeah, um, yeah. And and I, I really enjoy ska, and so I really enjoyed this album. But that song really s was stand out for me. You know, it, it mm -hmm. stood out more than any of them. So I, I just wanted to grab that. You know, I thought it was a cool tune. That's cool. Well, you know me. I'm the I'm the yin to your yang. So yep. <laughs> my pick my pick uh, makes everything right with the universe as far as. As far as Madness's first album goes, I believe um, it is um, one of the ska-iest mm -hmm. uh, songs on the album and one of the super, like, probably, well, that and the title track are probably the, the peaks of the album when it comes to just, like, high-octane energy. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and listen to uh, the second song that we're going to feature off this album, a song called Night Boat to Cairo. Uh, before we go, before we move on, I just wanted to mention that Graham, Graham McPherson of this band said that he remembers the producer saying that he wanted some Egyptian strings at the end of the, of the at the end of the song, and the arranger heard gypsy strings. So the song, he said, it ended up being kind of a cultural mishmash. Although I got to say, man, it is a killer song. I love this energy, and uh, the instrumentation in this tune is just sweet. Very good. Hey, whatever works, works, right? Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, yeah. The the phrase happy accident um, isn't a phrase because it's never happened before. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So so that was Madness's one step beyond. Um, and I'm I it's hard to say whether or not it's gonna make my top ten, but you know what? I'm gonna put it on a list of, of albums to look at again because mm -hmm. I really dug this really really got into mm -hmm. it what do you think well um i will certainly revisit it um right before i start um making my choices but uh it does not seem likely this is going to make my list i would be really surprised if it doesn't um make a number of lists mm -hmm. uh, i i i bet it's somebody's number one i mean this is they um I, I, it's been, I don't know, 20 years since I've heard this album. Oh, yeah. And, and this album has a lot more meat 
to it than I thought. I mean, I've always kind of uh, been a little dismissive of madness as being a little lightweight, um, but not, you know, not on this album. I, I think this, this is um, this is a pretty credible post-punk ska album for sure. Absolutely. Moving on to the follow-up album um, by the Dickies. This is an album called Dawn of the Dickies. Uh, it had, there were, the Dickies at this point were more successful in the UK than they were here in the United States. The, the Dickies, of course, were, um, it, well, are, I should, I should say. They, they are one of the few original punk bands that are still going and, and have never stopped. So they've never broken up. They've, they, they don't release many albums, but they have been like all always together and always kind of doing tours here and there, uh, since the late seventies. Yeah. Still making uh, music. Yeah. Yeah. And they are, they were, and as far as I know, still are, based in Southern California. But at this time, they were much more successful in the UK. So in the UK, they actually had a couple of hits off of this album, a cover of the song Nights in White Satin, hmm. and then um, another song we've actually heard on this podcast called Fan Mail. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, if you remember way back to one of our first episodes when we talked about our favorite punk bands, um, the Dickies made sort of like the the bottom of my top ten uh, mm-hmm. favorite punk bands, and so I featured this song, Fan Mail, um, then. So we've we've already heard one of the songs off of this album. So it's it. It seems a little silly to ask whether or not, or to consider whether or not you like one Dickies album over another Dickies album, because it's, it's to me, it's kind of like asking if you like one Ramones album over the other, because they <laughs> yeah. all kind of sound the same. They're all just, they've got one lane and they stick to it and they do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's particularly true um, from the first album to the second album i mean they are virtually um interchangeable which is just fine if you happen to love what they're doing which um i think both of us do mm-hmm. the, the the dickies debut album actually made your top 10 of the year yeah year. that's that's right that's yeah. right uh you know like you said they do what they do it's the same thing but they've got staying power and i think that's partly why people really love it mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So are you, do you agree with my assessment that this is, uh, this <laughs> album is, is, uh, just as good, Yeah. Um, but uh, not, not particularly better than I, their first album? I think I would say that exact thing. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. it's just as good. I wouldn't put it above, um, you know, listening to this album, I almost forgot how much I enjoyed it. Uh, how much mm-hmm. I enjoy the Dickies. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I can't tell you that I've heard this album, but I've heard some of these songs. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. it, it feels like they can be on any album. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good stuff. Love it. So what is your pick off of this album? 
Ah, so I picked a song that is to me an it's an American institution. I picked a tune called Manny Mo and Jack. Yeah, so um, this is not gonna be news to some people, but if you're um, in Europe, you probably are not aware of the fact that Manny Mo and Jack are part of. Uh, so there, there is a auto parts chain called Pep Boys. Am I yeah. getting this right? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. correct. Yeah. yeah, and they're um, sort of their Colonel Sanders, so to speak, is Manny <laughs> Mo and Jack. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they've got little caricatures on the on the faces of the of the um, stores and and all of that. Um, yeah. endorsement of Manny Mo and Jack and how they're going to help you out with your They've car. They've always got what you want. That's right. I love that. <laughs> love that. It, it, uh, like simultaneously a commercial and very subversive somehow at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun. So much fun. So uh, my pick is um, a song called I'm Stuck in a Pagoda with Trina Toyota, or Trisha Toyota, rather. Um, another super-duper catchy song off of this album. I mean, it is, there was, I think we've talked about this in the past, um, it's sort of an unfortunate um, tendency for punk and new wave to use that little da 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 riff in songs whenever they when they whenever they talk about anything or do you know do you know the story behind that little riff i have no idea Rob? i have yeah no I, idea. I i heard i heard a piece on this many many years ago and if i i remember correctly um that riff has nothing to do with oriental music it was you know sometime in the 30s or 40s or 50s some you know, some composer was was putting together a score for a Hollywood movie and did that as sort of like a little signature for something Oriental, and it just stuck. Huh. And so wow. when 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 uh, you know people who grew up in the Orient listen to that, they have no would have no idea that that is supposed to indicate. Um, you know, a sound that implies that it's Oriental. Well, that's interesting. I'm yeah. going to remember that. Huh. So that is, that is the 
only thing that I do not care for in this song, but I'm, I don't let it ruin otherwise a very, very fun, super catchy, high energy song. That is a really catchy song, and I think the vocalization is great. The the singing is just cool and catchy, um, and and I know that there are a lot of people that are going to roll their eyes and complain about it, and it's probably just because of that little jaunty riff. Um, and and thanks for the history lesson because now I now I know. But but yeah, it's a it's a cool tune. It's a cool little tune. Um, pretty good energy to it. Yeah, yeah. So that is the Dickies uh, sophomore album. No sophomore slump here, let me tell you. Uh, a title called Dawn of the Dickies. Uh, I can't imagine it's going to make my top 10 list, but Rob, the the big question is, what about you? Is it? Are you seriously considering it, or well, is the competition just too stiff this year? There's a lot of competition, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick it on that list with Madness of mm -hmm. albums to go back and listen to. Um, you know, I think there are about 22 albums on that list right now, so I'm going to have to whittle them down. This is going to be a hard year, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. but but yeah, I'm I'm going to put it on the consideration list. Well, the good news is you can do a full 10 this year. Yeah. I mean, you and I always have. Always. Yeah. <laughs> ah, so moving into our next album is one of my very favorite bands. We're talking about Human League with their album Reproduction. And this is Human League's debut album. They released on Virgin Records, um, the band themselves, uh, along with Colin Thurston produced it. We've talked about Colin before. He co-engineered David Bowie's Heroes as well as Iggy Pop's Lust for Life. And uh, but when this when this album was released, it was it was a commercial flop, sadly, which is hard for me to believe because when I heard it was you know in the early '80s and I absolutely loved it. But I mean, it's just me. Who am I? At any rate, it was a commercial flop. Apparently, it was ahead of its time because just two years later, they re-released the album, and it charted in 1981, and then peaked at number 34 in 1982. So, uh, it just 1979 wasn't the time for this album. Can can I push back on that a Please, little bit? Please, yeah, go for it. Uh, I'm not quite sure about the timing of it, but my suspicion is that um, it was re-released after the success of Dare. Mm, and mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think it was one of those rising tide lifts all boats sort of yeah. a thing where um, there was just a, a ferocious appetite for all things um, human league. Human league, yeah. And yeah, well. so I, I think it has less to do with being ahead or behind of the times and just, you know, riding on the curtails of, of a huge international 
hit like yeah. uh, the Dare album. Well, there's no doubt that Dare is the album that I grew up on and I just absolutely yeah. ate it up. So yeah. uh, the album had one single, Empire State Human. Um, I Again, I love Human League and I, I own everything that they've done, uh, you know, since their third album, Dare. But uh, I actually, I actually, listening to this album this time around, I mean, I think it's a great album, but it, to me, it felt less like the human league that I know. So I think in my mind or in my, in my feelings that they, they grew into themselves uh, as they went along. But, but yeah, I think you may be right about that. Once Dare came out, everybody wanted Human Link, whatever they could get. Mm -hmm. So, um, at any rate, I chose uh, I chose a song that that I, I like a lot, and I have I have been listening to this song quite a bit, especially this last week. But also, I, I think I've heard it quite a bit over the last ten years or so. Uh, I picked a song called Blind You. No future, they say. But must it be that away? Now is calling. The city is human. Blind you take hope. You'll know just up your time is to make fun come soon. We've had it easy. We should be glad. Our eyes living's not so This song I like a lot. I still I find it a little cheesy though because it's got some references and some some slang that dates back to the 40s. And I'm listening to these lyrics, going, I don't know exactly what this means. I got to look it up. But but uh, I do like this album, uh, if not as as if not as much as Dare. I I do like it, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, what do you think about the album, Joseph? <laughs> Well, this was um, this was kind of a revelation for me. So, uh -huh. um, you, uh, Human Lead made your top ten new wave bands list. Mm -hmm. um, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was about in the middle, like yeah. around five. Does that yep. does that sound about right? That sounds about right. And um, it sounds like the reason why they are one of your favorite new wave bands is more the stuff that they were doing into the, the like early to mid eighties, as opposed to say the first, the first two albums, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, um, I don't know that I had ever heard this album. I thought that I had. So, um, you know, like all Americans, um, uh, almost all Americans, uh, the first I heard of the Human League was Don't You Want Me. If, if, if you had asked me a year ago what was the first new wave song to hit number one in the United States, I would have said Don't You Want Me. We, we now know that that is incorrect. In 1979, we've actually seen three of them hit number one. But that is the one that probably made me aware as a very, I, I was in middle school then, I think, um, made me first aware of the term new wave. You know, it, it, that mm -hmm. was like the, the probably the, the tidal wave 
of of new wave that just like made it a phenomenon here in the United States was was when don't you want me hit number one and I remember my sister being into them and me hearing their albums and always kind of liking them but not taking them very seriously and um, you know, the further they got into the 80s, uh, particularly the late 80s and early 90s, um, the more horrified I became <laughs> with, <laughs> with each of their albums. Um, and I, I thought that I had heard this album like back then. I might have gone and, and listened to a friend's copy and just not liked it at all. And maybe because at that point I was really into, I was expecting to hear another Don't You Want Me or something. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of love this album. Um, mm -hmm. This is, I can't say for certain that I've heard all of their releases, but right now this is easily my favorite um, Human League album. Um, there is a lot of really cool uh, new stuff going on in here. Um, now, let me ask you um, a question. Uh -huh. If if you what what would you choose? Would you choose this album or one of the two Gary Newman albums released this year? Ooh, yeah. You know, I that's pretty tight. I think I think I would have to go with this album and. The reason is, is because it's Human League and I could listen to them all day long. The sound is definitely different between this album and what Gary Newman is doing, but they are definitely playing in the same sandbox. Mm -hmm. But what the Human League is doing on this album just sounds more exciting. It's it's dirtier. It's grimier. It's it's a little edgier and more dangerous and has some heat to it. Um, and I find the songwriting to be more creative and a lot more interesting. I kind of love this album. Um, I I well, let me take that back. The first two thirds of the album, it just mm -hmm. the last three songs just die for me. I, I, <laughs> I, I just it, it was a really unfortunate um, choice as far as ordering this, the songs. So the the, um, the second and third to the last songs are like kind of medleys that are not yeah. working at all. There's a cover song in there somewhere. Um and then the last song, it just it just drops off a cliff for the for the last third of the album. If that wasn't the case, this would be a shoe in for my top ten. Interesting. Um, oh. So, anyways, let's get to my pick, um, which is a song called "Almost Medieval." Hangs the man on the gibbet. Sun 
great tune that and the album great album uh, human leagues reproduction this is their debut album um i'm gonna put it on my list of considerations much like most of the albums on this uh, playlist tonight um and uh, i think we kind of figured out how what you're gonna go all right i mean maybe on your top 10 or you just because of those last three songs you think that killed it for you uh, boy i am really torn because this um I'm very excited about this album. Um, this is this is the kind of like hardcore, like drum machine synthesizer, new wave um, that that I really mm-hmm. like. Yeah. You know that that still still feels very punk, if not in sound, in approach, in attitude. It's yeah. like punk with but with a completely different set of instruments which i love i love that about this um i'm very excited about their second album um very curious about it to see um my hope is that it's a little bit more consistent so probably not i can't imagine Mm -hmm. it making my top 10 list but i'm definitely going to revisit it and Boy, if if it didn't, you know, if the last third was as strong as the the first part, it would be a shoe in for my top ten. I'm nice. very excited about this album. Yeah, yeah, same here. Let's move on to the second and final album released by a band called The Flies. This is an album called Own. Um, we, of course, talked about The Flies earlier on, with their debut album, and, their, and a song off of that album was one of my favorite songs of, of uh, 1978. Um, and this album just, but overall, did not care for the first album, and this is like this to me this could be a carbon copy of of the first album um huh. i i am not you know i it just kind of to me it just kind of reinforces this is not a particularly interesting or talented band um and you know i'm based most of that off of just how derivative each of their song sounds, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I just, I think that is kind of, that's kind of where my opinions end um, with, with the flies. I, I find, find this album just like their first one pleasant, but utterly disposable. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I got to say that uh, I feel the same way about their first album that you do. Mm-hmm. It, uh, but for some reason, I don't know if it was just a mood thing, but this one surprised me, and I really enjoyed it. I got into it. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I kind of got into the vibe. I like the energy behind it. Um, it felt fun to me, and um, you know, I, I started reading about the band and realizing that they were opening up for the Buzzcocks a lot, which was kind of cool. And, and yeah, I think that'd be a neat concert to see. Yeah, they uh, and we we kind of discussed that um, mm-hmm. previously when we talked about their first album. They they actually were touring with a lot of 
um, really prominent up and comers. I'm having yeah. a hard time remembering off the top of my head, but I was surprised when I read the list. I mean, the pretenders were in well, there. I like this album a little bit better than you do, I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what, what song did you pick off of this? Um, I picked a song called Night Creatures, and to me, it's just kind of a fun, uh, you know, haunty little tune. I would love is I would love to hear from a Flies fan. So if anyone's out there who is a real Flies um, aficionado, reach out to us and um, just give us uh, your perspective. And um, I I would love that. I'm I'm Was always always interested in in um, broadening my um, my views on a particular uh, you know particular band or particular particular genre so so if there are any defenders of of the flies um we would love to hear from you absolutely well uh, i guess we can go into uh, the next next album mm -hmm. which again i you know when basically when we pick which albums we're going to cover Joseph just says, why don't you pick and I'll take what's left over, which I try not to be greedy when I do that. You know, um, I try to like leave some of the bands that I know Joseph's going to love. I want to leave those for him or or I'll pick bands that I think are going to be really challenging or bands that I just don't like at all because, uh, you know, I don't like this album. I think it'll be interesting to talk about a little aside for our listeners, um, just to make it clear what Rob is is referencing. Um for each one of the albums, either Rob or I kind of takes the lead. So we we do the the bulk of the research on the album and then kind of lead the conversation. And so we split that up and Rob just picks the albums that he wants to take the lead on and, and then I do the others. That's why like when Rob is talking about um, an album, there's a lot more... Um, you know, facts about like who produced and everything. Cause that's the stuff that really interests him. And then when uh -huh. I take the lead, it's much more like analyzing the, 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 the music of the album, because that's what interests me. So, yeah. so that is what, what Rob is referring to when he says, um, choosing the albums. So that is correct. Yep. Well, this this time around, I got greedy, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with all the albums that I absolutely love, uh, or the, the bands that I absolutely which, love. Which is good because you are gonna be the best ambassador for for those for sure. Makes a whole lot of sense. Makes yeah, a whole lot of sense. Yep. Well, this time around, the album that I picked, uh, the album that I took took the lead on was The Germs, GI, and I'm a 
fan of the germs. I love the germs, and I have been listening to them my entire life. The funny thing is, is they only came out with one album. So the germs were a punk band from Los Angeles, California, from 1976 to 1980. Um, their most notable lineup was Darby Crash, Pat Smear, Lorna Doom, and Don Bulls. Uh, I, of course have a favorite Germs band member, and this was before they recorded their first album, their only album. 1977, their drummer was Dottie Danger, a.k.a. Belinda Carlisle. Uh, Blew my mind <laughs> when, when yeah. you informed me about that. Um, <laughs> couldn't believe it. Sweet little baby face Belinda. Oh, um, she was, just, yeah. 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 And uh, she said that she left the band because... Uh, well, it's funny because I've heard interviews with her where they're like, hey, why'd you leave the band? And she's like, well, they were just a bunch of dirty guys, um, you know. Uh, and then another time she's, they said, why did you leave the band? And she's like, it was just really hard. <laughs> and once again, why did you leave the band? I wasn't very good. But she was a badass drummer, man. She was really good. Uh, she did actually go on to form, you know, the Go-Go's. So can't complain there. So I have to wonder if she hadn't started out in a band of dirty, smelly guys, would she have formed an all-girl band? Jane, Jane Wheedlin would be Jane Wheedlin would be a solo act only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so GI is often considered the first hardcore punk album, um, which I think is great. I think that's it's it's a killer. It is a killer album, definitely hardcore. And GI stands for, by the way, Germs Incognito. Um, the album was, now get this, several members of the album, or excuse me, several members of the band were fans of The Runaways. And so mm -hmm. they asked Joan Jett if she would produce their album, and sure enough. Um, the actual, this, this actual studio-produced album apparently redefined the Germs for for, for fans because they'd been around a while. Right. And they'd only been performing in these, like these clubs. And, um, so it was a lot of screaming and yelling. The, the lead singer would, would walk away from the mic. He was often inebriated. So he would, you know, you couldn't really clearly understand what he was saying. And then once they of course recorded in the studio, it's all cleaned up. So it was almost like listening to a whole new band, but they did have quite a bit of fans, um, and and myself included. I, I'm a I'm a huge fan, and I love their stuff. So so you know I love this album, Joseph. How do yeah. you feel about it? Well, uh, you you probably heard me snicker there a couple of seconds ago when you uh, describing the this album as cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, dude, whatever. <laughs> well, you got to listen to their live stuff, all right? <laughs> well, so um before before I get into to kind of my reaction to it, um let's just let's talk about a couple of other things I've got in my notes. One is um our little uh teaser episode for this season. We actually heard one of their songs, and I think the title of that song was "Dragon Lady." Is that mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah, and because you both you, so you and I in that episode 
we featured a song from a, a more obscure band that we were excited about talking mm -hmm. about um, for this season. Actually, both of those bands show up in today's conversation, which I'm excited mm -hmm. about. I will also point out that Rolling Stone thinks that this is the 28th greatest punk album of all time. Well, that's pretty. That's a pretty high order, right there, number twenty-eight. I gotta say, I think that there are two uh, very notable, remarkable things about this album. <clears throat> One is um, something you kind of already alluded to, which is. Uh, it is one of the first hardcore punk albums to be released. Mm -hmm. But even more specifically, it's the first Southern California hardcore punk um, album. And really, there are going to be so many bands other out of, uh, out of um, Southern California punk bands that sound very much like this. So, th so yeah. this album is kind of setting the template. It's really sort of like East Coast punk has already been kind of established what the sound is. West Coast punk is going to sound very different. Yeah. And it's kind of starting here, right? Uh, particularly for, for Southern California. And then the other part is, I think this is like, this album is exhibit A on punk being DIY. I mean, this is as uh -huh. DIY sounding as you could possibly get because um, it does, I mean, it is pretty obvious that they are not um, classically trained or particularly disciplined <laughs> um, musicians. And so I appreciate that. Um, but for my own enjoyment, th this is this album is a big pass for me. I, I'm ah. not I'm not a huge fan of Southern California hardcore punk. Mm. Um, there are a few notable exceptions. I'm really excited about the first Fear album that comes yeah. out, but but that's a whole different beast than what's going on here. This is this is a little too scruffy uh, for me. <laughs> I guess I'm just. High floating that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of uh, of the West Coast punk, as you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, uh, I picked a song off of this album that I really dig. Um, and let's go ahead and listen to it. This is Media Blitz. Got television. Got supervision. No music for you. Media Blitz. So that was the Germs' uh, only album, their debut and their only album, uh, GI. And um, I really like this album. I like that it is rowdy. I like that it's feeling DIY. Um, and this is, again, it's going to go on that ever-growing list of albums that I want to consider for, for my top 10 or for my top five even. So 
Uh, back to you, Joseph. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I can just say as a blanket statement that probably very few hardcore punk albums are uh, ever going to make my top 10 list because that's just, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I guess, I guess uh, I, my sensibilities are a little bit artier than that. It's just not, you know, I'm, not your bag, man. Okay, so let's move on to the second Ska album that we're going to talk about released in uh, October of 1979. That, of course, is the debut, the mighty debut album by a band called The Specials. Um, so, very odd timing that the debuts of Madness and The Specials were released uh, at about the same time. Now, they both started out... So um, the label Two Tones, who is a label that was actually started by one of the members of the specials, and it was really, it was the, the epicenter for ska, for post-punk ska. And Madness started out, well, pretty much all of the prominent um, uh, uh, ska bands in the UK started out on Two Tone. We will almost certainly at some point do a bonus episode about two-tone. So um, I won't get into many details about that here, but just to promise everybody, we will be thorough about covering two, uh, the two-tone label. Hugely influential label. They, they had a, uh, a very interesting um, uh, uh, MO which is basically when they signed a band, the band only committed to one release. And by release, I mean anything, like a single, an EP, an LP, whatever. Oh, wow. So, so they, were, they were like super cool, very, very democratic about all of that. Um, so it just, it feels, and Madness, of course, got their start on Two-Tone. It feels a little dickish that for their release, their um, debut release, they go to Stiff Records. Well, you can't blame them for that because I'm sure they got a great offer and, and you know, bands are ambitious and they want to, they want to do what's best for their careers. But then to release it at pretty much the exact same time as the Special's debut feels... A little tone deaf, but maybe it wasn't, <laughs> you know, maybe it wasn't their call. Maybe it was just the label and they, they couldn't do anything about it. But yeah. in any case, for me personally, I don't think that it did Madness any favors to release at the exact same time. Um, when I referred to their album or Madness in general as as feeling a little lightweight. It is directly in comparison to the specials. I think when you hold them up side by side, um, the specials are, when it comes to ska, they are the 900 pound gorilla. Um, I love this album. I've always loved this album. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it as well. It's... Uh... I don't know. I keep going back to uh, that time you were on my uh, MWR show and and we played, you know, some new wave tunes that, that you really dug. And I think Specials was on that list. 
And, you know, I certainly had heard special the specials before that, but ever since then, I've just been a huge, I don't know, a magnet for them. I'll, I'll listen to anything they do. I feel like taking the, setting the lyrical content aside for a second, because that's a whole nother can of worms uh, that we're yeah, going to have to true. open. But if you disregard the lyrics i would call this album nearly perfect um i love i i just i think this this album just gets everything right the energy is so high it is so much fun it is not lightweight they are dealing they are tackling some very serious issues but in a very fun way which is a really difficult balance to get um So accolades for this album, Q Magazine thinks it's the um, 38th greatest uh, British album of all time. Pitchfork says it is the 42nd greatest album released in the 70s. Rolling Stones uh, thinks it's the 68th greatest album released in the 80s. Now, Hmm. to be clear, um, it was released in, obviously, October of 79 in the UK and not released in the United States, which, which is where Rolling Stone is based. Rolling Stone magazine, obviously is based until, uh, the following year. So that's the reason for that. Um, and NME thinks it is the 260th greatest album of all time. Um, I am not a huge ska, uh, aficionado but this is by far my favorite ska album um i love this album very very much and i will say i have in the past i have griped about how much i dislike saxophone you take mm-hmm. that off the table when you're talking about ska because you have to they yeah. uh, with with ska they use the saxophone in a completely different way. They use it like a rhythm instrument, which I love. So you will never hear me complain about sax popping up in a madness or special song. It's, it's more that whole like seventies hippies, um, hippie dippy, you know, Saturday night live type saxophone Mm -hmm. that, that just makes my skin crawl. So, um, But I, I do have a, um, well, we've got that can sitting, the can of worms sitting there that needs to be open. <laughs> but before we do that, let's let's listen to um, a couple of songs. So what is your, oh, and uh, I should mention that the biggest hit off of this album, of course, not here in the United States, but in um UK was a message to you, Ruby. So what is your pick off of this album? I picked too much too young.
I picked this song, I think, because really just because it was fun. I mean, it, it is, it is a to me, it's a a standard ska tune. You know, it's it's one that I go back to, um, and and looking back at it, it it's like. I get. I don't want. I don't know if I want to say this, but I, I guess the lyrics, uh, lyrically speaking, I go. I go back to it, and it's like, boy, that's. That sounds like somebody who's like, "What are you doing with your life?" You know, and they're they're a young person though saying this, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, but I do think that you know, it again is a it's a fun ska tune, and it's it's jaunty, and I think anything. As far as anything by the specials, like you said, if you take away the the lyrics, mm-hmm. the the music is just gonna it it's it's gonna be infectious and it's gonna mm-hmm. be, you know, kind of catchy. And but at any rate, yeah. And the the hat trick that the specials um, pull off time and time again on this album is even for the um, kind of slower songs the energy level is still super duper high. Um, so, yeah, so, I, so that is, that, that is one of the things that makes me love this album. Um, so now I'm going to reach for that can of worms and I'm going right. to open it up and we are going to um, talk about misogyny in punk and post-punk. We've talked about it before. We will talk about it again, but I don't think that in good um, consciousness, I can um, talk about this album without bringing it up here. So, you know, all of the discussions we've had about misogyny and punk has been um, when we've talked about material that is kind of cartoonish, like the whole point of it is to get a rise out of people and be obnoxious and be punk. So talking about the Stranglers or the Soft Boys, where the misogyny was kind of the point of the song, and they were doing it to get a rise out. Um, And, you know, that is to be noted, and and we've had discussions about that. but there's another kind of misogyny that um, I was not aware. So, so the thing about the the cartoony misogyny is it's super duper easy to identify, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you just look at it and go, "Oh, he's talking about beating his woman." You know, that is that's gross. That's misogynistic. Yeah. Fairly fairly straightforward conversation that you can have with yourself. Um, so I had the the specials uh, debut album. Um, I think I got it like mid high school. So it it had been out for um, you know a good six or seven years before I discovered it. Um, listened to it, loved it, and it wasn't until we actually right about the time that we started this podcast. Um, I went back and listened to it, and for the very first time, I heard the misogyny all over this album. And, oh yeah. And what it what it is 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 it's a sneakier. So the fact that I could get this far, having listened to this album hundreds of times and never thought about it, makes it a little bit more concerning to me 
because mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit more stealth, right? I I think really the 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 three most notable songs are the the last three songs on the album. One of them being the song that we just heard. So what the what the specials do on this album is they do a lot of finger wagging, right? And there's mm-hmm. nothing inherently wrong with finger wagging. And most of the finger wagging is done towards like racists and bigots. And I'm like, and I'm all on board with that. Uh, you wag your finger at a racist as much as you want. I am totally down for that. But some of it, like the song that we just heard, they're kind of wagging their finger at a woman. You know, yeah. there, there, there is some finger wagging aimed at women, um, l- telling them what they should and shouldn't do. And particularly in a case like Too Much Too Young, they're they're basically saying, oh, look at you. You went and had sex and now you've got a baby and you can't have fun. It is something (laughs) that certainly doesn't ruin the album for me. I think this is a fantastic album. It will make my top 10. But um, I I think that when people listen to it, they, they it's important to be aware of that. It's it's just it's much more baked into just the sensibilities of the of the songwriters than uh, an overt subject matter. So in and in many ways that is that is a little bit more insidious, I think. So that's my two cents. Well, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, it's you know. The whole the, the idea of uh, you know what's called slut shaming and and mm-hmm. finger wagging is is mm-hmm. uncool. Um, but again, it's damn, it's overall a great album. Yeah, it ruined it for me, unfortunately. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that it's happened, but it's yeah. not. Uh, yeah, doesn't yeah. kill it. So my pick off of this album, just a super duper high energy song, uh, so much fun. Um, called Concrete Jungle. I'm gonna make it out tonight I don't know if I'll be alright Everyone wants to play with me Baby, danger in the city the pacing of this song i mean it's just it, the energy's up um it's it, again it's just a fun song it's just a fun scott album i don't know what to say about it other than that <laughs> so um except maybe i should thank you for bringing the specials to my attention again after so many years of not, not mm-hmm. hearing them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well it's it's going to be fun um to talk about their follow-up album because they take the weirdest left turn. Um, it's a, their follow-up album is um, shocking um, in its unexpectedness. 
Um, I are are you you're probably not familiar with more I'm specials. Not. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. That's gonna be a fun conversation. Super super surreal um, direction that they go in on the second album. So that is the Specials um, debut album called The Specials. It is um, almost certainly, I cannot imagine it not making my top 10 list. Um, my suspicion is, well, my prediction at the beginning of this season was that um, it's going to do pretty well in the, the final top 10 list for our community. Well, I got to say that... Uh... I mean, we talked a bit about at the beginning of this episode how the picks were screwed up, how we should have uh, shuffled the deck a little bit better when we uh, divided the two two episodes. <laughs> um, because this album, along with most of the other albums on this set, is they're going to end up in a consideration pile. So, um, And this one is a stronger consideration than most. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, moving on to the next album is a band that I'd never heard of, um, or at least if I've heard of them, I have long forgotten them. This is this is Cabaret Voltaire with uh, with their album Mix Up, and they're an English band formed in 1973. And of course, they were named after the Cabaret Voltaire in Zurich, which is the home of the Dada movement. Um, their first album, Mix Up, um, I I gotta say, really really enjoyed this album um and i will it, it's i'm surprised because it's not amongst the kind of it's not it's not the kind of album i usually like it's you know if i turn it on at all i'll turn it on and just let it play in the background while i'm doing something else but i i actually dug it um it's a very experimental sounding album this this style is Again, they they come from, you know, performance artists. That's who these people are, and uh, it has that that performance artist dance style, uh, and and it's when comparing like comparing this album to something by bands like Throbbing Gristle, uh, Cabaret Voltaire to me is it, it fits in that category that that Throbbing Gristle was in, but to me it feels a little more cohesive like you could actually put lyrics to their stuff i don't know if uh, let me re let me let me go back on that i don't know if you could put lyrics to it but they have and uh, <laughs> and and it works all right to me so it's it's more cohesive it's more danceable um but yeah it's it's still very noisy so at any rate i don't know what what else to call it but discordant i mean it's 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 noisy it's, it's an it's an aptly titled album. Yeah, there you go. It's mixed up. Uh, <laughs> Imagine um, a mashup between Throbbing Gristles and Suicide. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, you know, um, Suicide finally released their debut album in 1977. So there is... Um, you know, a very good chance that uh, this band was familiar with that album. Uh, my guess is that they were, um, but that's absolutely just a guess. So, uh, so I this definitely feels like 
um, if suicide and throbbing gristles got together and had a baby, um, it would be Cabaret Voltaire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is, um, I, I like this album, but this is kind of, uh, we have discovered over the last couple of seasons that this type of music is a little bit more in your sweet spot than mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would, I would pick this um, over probably any other album that we've talked about that is kind of of the same ilk. Last episode, we went out on a mystery song and it was actually a cut off of this album called Heaven and Hell, which was one of the more experimental, abstract type of yeah. soundscapes, a little bit more like um, Throbbing Gristle uh, or was doing at the time. Um, but the song that you picked, which is probably my favorite song off of the album as well, that we're going to listen to tonight, um, is called no escape keep a real close eye on this band and I'm really curious to hear follow-up albums because I could see if you know if at some point they get to um, a place where they are releasing music that is like 50% more poppy I could like absolutely fall in love with it uh, mm -hmm. right so there there is a lot of really cool interesting things that are going on there's just not there's there's too much spice and not enough sugar right now for me to um, not get overwhelmed by like a full album of it. Um, yeah, yeah. But but there there you know I I, I understand why um, they are considered a band of note, um, and I I like a lot of the sounds on this album. Right on. Cool. Um, well, so that was Cabaret Voltaire's uh, first album mix-up, and I'm also looking forward to seeing what they do in the future. Uh, sadly to say, this is not going to make even a consideration on my list. Not that I don't like it, but it's, uh, you know, it's not, a, not an album I'm going to go back and listen to over and over again. And, uh, um, again, I think the songs are probably better suited on a mixed on a mixed tape. But well, that's it for the 1979 releases. Uh, we do have two more albums that we were planning on discussing. Uh, these are 1979 albums uh, with unknown release dates. 
but looking at the time, there is no way we can fit them into this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on the fly, we've decided we'll release a bonus track episode uh, before the end of the month, at which time we will take a look at two pretty interesting albums, yeah. uh, both debuts. So the first is an album called The Original Sin by Cowboys International. And um, the second is the eponymously titled debut release by the Surf Punks. Yay! Finally! <laughs> really looking forward to that. Well, I'm a huge fan so of So be sure to um, keep an eye out for that episode uh, once again uh, before the end of the month. Okay, I guess it's time to wrap this thing up. Just two more months to go. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Almost there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, next month we will tackle November. November is a lot more manageable. So we can actually cover all of the relevant releases in one episode, which means we get to do a deep dive. Remember those, Rob? Oh, man. I love deep dives. Yeah. 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 It, it, it won't be the police one that we promised although we will get to that by the end of uh, the season it's going to be um an artist that releases an album in november and and we've got a um a very cool guest lined up knock on wood you never know how those things go um so i'm very excited about that I think we nailed down the 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 rest of the schedule so appropriately enough in November we will be tackling November of 1979 and then we will take the month of December off because of the holidays and all of that mm-hmm. And then in January, we will tackle December of 1979. And then the next month, we will uh, will be the final month of season three, where we uh, start get, getting serious about crafting our best of lists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we are committing to that. This is a, an episode of commitments. So we've nailed down um, the submitting of... Favorite albums of 1979, and we've nailed down the schedule. So now we should be all on the same page. I think so, yeah. Anything else you want to cover? Um, No, except what a joy this was, man. Yeah. It was so much fun, this episode. If you're interested in what we are going to cover in November, stick around. We will uh, go through the list um, after the fade-out. So for the fade out, it's going to be another teaser. This is this is going to be a song off of one of the albums we will discuss for November of 1979. Uh, hopefully a pretty obscure one. So see if you can guess the band. Well, Rob, I guess our work here is done. I guess so. All right, everybody. We'll see ya. Cold, cold still longer. It's edges warm.
its way across the big lake. Albums that we'll be covering for November 1979, Adam and the Ants, Dirk Wears White Socks, Boomtown Rats, The Fine Art of Surfacing, Hugh Cornwell and Robert Williams, Nosferatu, Damned, Machine Gun Etiquette, and The Jams, Setting Suns. Public Image Limited's Metal Box, The Raincoat's debut album, titled The Raincoats, The Reels debut album, The Reels, Simple Minds album entitled Reel to Reel Cacophony, Sham 69 with The Adventure of the Hersham Boys, and Marianne Faithful with an album called Broken English. Broken English. 